Well, it's Mother's Day today. Happy Mother's Day. I want to say a special note to my mother, just how much I, I love you and I appreciate you and how much you've supported me and encouraged me and guided me in truly what it means to follow Jesus, the greatest gift you could have given me. And I also want to thank my wife, Rebecca, for her amazing ability to raise our two girls in the way of the Lord and her discipline and devotion to, to serving them. And it's a beautiful thing to acknowledge the gifting of God in giving us mothers in our life. And I think one of the questions that we all ask on Mother's Day as children is the question, who is the favorite child? I don't know, for those of you who've grown up with multiple siblings, perhaps it's a question that you've processed or perhaps you've even asked your mother. Uh, for those of you who are gathering with your mothers today, it's probably not the best time to ask them, but I'm sure it's a question that we've all pondered at some point in time. And I have two daughters, and with my first daughter, I didn't even really process the question. Uh, I didn't have to ask the question of favorites because as I was with my daughter, Alethea, it was a simple answer. Uh, you are the best child. You are the best daughter. You are my favorite in many senses. But after we had our second daughter, I quickly realized that I couldn't say that same thing anymore. I remember playing and enjoying some time with my daughter, Alethea, and I said the words, Oh, Alethea, you are the best daughter in the world. And then I looked over to the corner at my daughter, Alleluia, and I began to think, Oops, I can't say that anymore. And so it's a question that we uh, process and we're always battling through. But I want to say this, though. The beautiful thing about God and our relationship with God is, first of all, that we use paternal language. Uh, we use the language of fatherhood. The Old Testament has some imagery of God as mother as well, but our relationship to God is paternal. And a beautiful thing in reflecting on that is Scripture tells us that God isn't a parent who has favorites. In fact, Scripture tells us, and James mentions in chapter 2, and, and both Peter and Paul make this statement about God, that our God is one who doesn't play favorites to his children. Uh, Paul says this in Romans 2. He says, God does not show favoritism. And then Peter, preaching in Acts 10, Peter began to speak this in one of his sermons. He says, I now truly understand that God does not show favoritism, but he welcomes those from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And so when we view God as a God who does not show favoritism, it means that God is telling us that his people are going to come from every category of humanity. That there are going to be people from every language, every nation, every tribe, all across this globe, throughout all of history, through all cultures and societies. Those are all people who are invited to be the family of God. It's this beautiful picture of how God shows no favoritism in this world. Which means that we as humans, we in many senses are all part of this same category. There's this equality among us in relationship to God. 
And the way that James begins to give thought to this is he begins by describing Jesus as the Lord of glory. Now, why is he using this language in talking about favoritism in the church? Well, what James wants us to do is to look up in God and realize that he is glorious, that he is holy, that he is set apart, that God is this whole category in and among himself. And he wants us to be reminded that there's a distinction between God and humanity. God is holy, God is glorious, and we as humans are not. And and what James wants us to do is to realize these two distinctions. And he brings this up because the issue that James is facing in the church is that the churches that he has overseen have lost this distinction. And what they begin to do and behave and act like as if there were distinctions between humans. And they begin to act as if some humans were more important than others. And so there was this issue of favoritism. And people in the church begin to treat those who are wealthy as more important. They begin to treat those with power and prestige, with this preferential treatment. And those who were poor, perhaps, or neglected, or marginalized, or vulnerable in society, those were the ones who were simply ignored and discarded. And James wants the church to realize that there is an issue with that. There is a problem with that. He begins to teach the church that showing favoritism is the farthest thing that God desires from his people. Now, here's the thing. Favoritism sounds horrible to us, doesn't it? I mean, if we saw a parent actually tell one of their child that children, that they were the favorite child, we would probably think, hmm, that parent is doing something wrong. And it's the same way with God. If we begin to treat others in the church as more important, we're ultimately saying that God sees these people as more important when Scripture says deliberately that God does not. And so here's the struggle. We all face this to some extent, to some degree. We gather in so many ways as the church. Uh, We gather corporately. We gather in small groups. We gather with friends and family. uh, We gather to serve. we, We gather in all these forms as the church. And James asks us the question. He says, when you gather, who gets your attention? It's a very challenging question. And he's beginning us to to challenge us to analyze this. He says, who is the person that you prioritize when you gather? Who is the person that you focus on or who are the type of people that you focus on when you gather? Who is the first person that you talk to or engage with? And we could even ask this from this season, when when we realized that we were going online, who is the first person that you thought about connecting with? 
Or, or even as we've been processing as a church, who are the 15 people that we can gather with during this time? Who are the 15 people that came to mind? Was it simply people who were part of your close circle? People who were close friends? Or people that desperately need to hear the gospel? See, James warns us of something here. He says, we need to be very cautious as the people of God who we show preference to. Because it can be incredibly easy for us to really neglect and forget people that God wants us to focus on. And, and so here's what James says. He, he challenges the church by saying this. He says, have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts. Uh, James calls them judges. Why? Because what they are doing is determining who is more important than others. And it's simply based on their perception of them. And James says our human perceptions of categorizing people, our human judgment on people are evil thoughts. He, he says, why are these thoughts evil? Because God sees people differently than we do. God himself does not make the distinctions that we do. And so James says, when we prioritize certain people over others in the church, when, when we focus our attention on those who are, are popular or those who are powerful or those who are wealthy, and we neglect people who are, are marginalized or poor or struggling in life, James is saying, we don't have the same view that God does. We don't view people through the same lens that God does. And so quiz time. Here, here's a little quiz I want to process with you all. And so if you feel comfortable in the groups that you're meeting in, you can answer out loud. Again, it's okay to be wrong. Uh, this is a learning opportunity for us. This is something we can process together. So answer yes or no when I ask these questions. Yes or no is all of humanity created in the image of God? Is all of humanity created in the image of God? Yes or no? Well, the answer according to Scripture is yes. Every human being is created in the image of God. Uh, Genesis 1, 26 to 28 tells us how each individual human being has dignity, they have worth, they have value because they are image bearers of our Lord Jesus Christ, created in the image of the triune God. And so, yes, all of humanity is created in the image of God. Now, here's another yes or no answer. Is all of humanity corrupted by sin? Yes or no? Is all of humanity corrupted by sin? And the answer, according to Scripture, is yes. Uh, Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are no exemptions in this world. Our, our culture says that we are good people who do bad things at times. And Scripture says, no, there's one category of humanity. We are all equally sinners. 
we have all fallen short of the glory of God, which means that there's one God who is holy and glorious, and then we as humans who are sinful and in desperate need of God's mercy and grace. Okay, final question. Final question. Yes or no? Is the church, the children of God, equally saved, equally forgiven, and equally loved by God? Yes or no? And the answer is yes. We as the children of God, we don't get any favoritism by God. We are all his children. Those who call upon the name of Jesus Christ who are saved, we become part of the family of God. And God as Father does not show favoritism. We all experience this equal salvation, this equal grace and mercy of God, this equal love. And so according to the scripture, according to the Bible, what God has told us about us is that we, as his people, are equally loved, equally forgiven, equally cared for. And as a result, God doesn't show favoritism towards us. We, in return, should not show favoritism against others. And this is where the church in James's circumstance got it all messed up. And this is where James continues to challenge him. He says this in verse 5. He says, listen, my beloved brothers, listen, church, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs in the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? And the point that James is bringing out here is not that God now chooses the poor over the rich. That would just be favoritism on the other side. But the point that James is making here is that God chooses from amongst the poor even though that the world doesn't value them or cherish them or admonish them. And, and James is saying the ways of the kingdom and even the heirs of the kingdom, the people who get to be part of the kingdom, are the complete opposite of what the world values and includes. See, we live very much in a celebrity culture, don't we? Uh, our, our culture shows this favoritism to the rich and powerful. Our, our culture shows almost this worship to people who are celebrities. They get our attention, they get our focus, and many times they get our money. I've never heard of a celebrity who wasn't rich. Now, sadly... Our culture and society influences us much more than we realize as the church. And that same posture of our culture that idolizes and worships celebrities can infiltrate our church to the point where we almost subconsciously focus our attention on those who are beautiful, those who are brilliant, those who are wealthy, those who are powerful. But James says the church of all places should not be like that. And James says, hasn't God chosen the poor, the weak, the vulnerable, the marginalized? I mean, even think about this. When Jesus enters into the synagogue, 
Uh, Luke 4 talks about this. When Jesus enters into the synagogue and, and he begins to teach and explain the mission to which he came, he, he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. And, and this is what Jesus says. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me. In other words, I am powered by the Spirit to accomplish my ministry here on earth. And he says, because he has anointed me, this is the mission to do what? To proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. In other words, all those outcasts and marginalized of society, the, the poor, the prisoners, the blind, um, the oppressed, all these people who are longing for someone to come along and value them. Jesus says, I come with God's perspective. And God says, even though culture and society marginalizes you, even though it seems like the world doesn't care about you, Jesus says, I have come to show you love and mercy and grace and to restore your life and to offer myself to you. That, that's the ministry of Jesus. And for us as the church to realize that, in other words, for, for us as the church to realize the mission of Jesus is for us to realize that we are called to be a people who give good news to people that have been forgotten about and neglected by society and culture. You see, if, if we want to follow the mission of Jesus, our focus should, should be to not neglect those who are so often neglected in this world. We can't neglect those people because God has created them in his image with dignity and value. And it is our responsibility to be proclaimers of that message, to be proclaimers of that truth. And so James says, you should never show discrimination in the church. You should never show discrimination in the church because God actually elevates those who society degradates. That's the heart of God. And James says that this is so important for the church to realize. James says this is so important because guess what? The way the church family, the way that the people of God treat those who are marginalized in society are the same way they are going to be treated by God. That's what James says. That's what he's explaining to us in verses 8 to 13. He says, you are going to be judged on how well you love your neighbor. And he says, not just the neighbors that you call friends and family and those close to you, uh, those who you can even benefit from, but he says, the way that we treat our neighbors who the world neglects and marginalizes, we're going to be judged by the way we treat those people. And, and James tells us simply this. He says, judgment without mercy. We all want mercy. That's what we all want. But James says, judgment without mercy is going to be given to us that don't show mercy to others. 
judgment without mercy is going to be given and shown to us that don't show mercy to others. And, and what James is trying to get us to do here in process is to question ourselves then and question our beliefs and begin to get us to answering the question, what do I really understand about the mercy that God has shown me? Do I really understand God's mercy? Because James is saying, if you truly understand the good news of Jesus Christ, if you truly understand the mission to which Jesus came for, what Jesus is accomplishing, and if you truly understand the mercy that God has shown to you, then you have to be. The only logical implication is that you would be merciful to others. That's the only logical implication. See, see, for people then who can easily walk past those who are marginalized and poor in society, for people who are so caught up in following the popular and the powerful that they ignore all of the needs of the people around them, uh, James says, if you cannot show mercy and if you neglect those people in your life, James says, wait till it's your turn. And it's not a threat that James is giving. It's not even a threat that God is giving. But, but what James is really trying to push and really trying to get us to comprehend as the church is that in reality, all the worth and dignity and value that we have is simply a gift of God. And guess what? It's not a gift given to certain people. It's a gift that's given to everyone. And so if God has given that person, perhaps that you just see as someone to be avoided or, or someone to be neglected or someone to be ignored, if God has given that person a dignity and a value and a worth and you don't treat them in light of that, then you are going against the purposes of God. You are going against the heart of God. Because here's the beautiful thing about God. God is so merciful that he has welcomed us into his family and he brings us into his family even though we deserve to be completely cast away from God because of our sin, even though that God is holy and set apart and glorious and we as humans are, are sinful and depraved and evil and wicked, God welcomes us into his family. When we should be rejected, God welcomes us. And, and not only does he just welcome us, he, he, he changes our very status. And instead of people that are rejected by God, which is what we deserve, we become sons and daughters of God. That's the mercy of God. That is the love of God. And James is saying, if God can show us that kind of mercy, if that's the heart of God, then we should be doing the exact same thing to people around us. We, we need to live a life that reflects this mercy of God. 
And, and so I want us to process this just in your own thoughts right now. I, I want you to think about this in your own life. Do you show favoritism of any kind? Are there people in our community or in our society or in our culture that you simply avoid or neglect? Do you care, this is a key question, do you care more about what is going on in the life of celebrities, in the life of the wealthy, the power, the prestigious? Do you care more about what's going on in their life than you care about meeting the needs of your neighbor? James says, we've got it mixed up. We've got it messed up if that's our mentality as the church. Here's another question. Do I spend a lot of time with people who have nothing to offer me in return. So much of our relationship is based on what people can give to us. And yet James is saying, you know what? Why the poor and marginalized often get rejected in society is because so often they have very little to offer to society. Very often... They have nothing to give. And James says, if that's your heart in relationship, if you spend time and energy simply towards people who have something to give you in return, James says, you miss the heart of God. We're called to show love and grace and compassion and care and concern for all people. And so... Process that in your life because here's the thing. God calls us to continually being engaging relationally. He continually calls us to be building relationship, to be engaging people. And, and what James reminds us of here is that we're not called just to engage relationships with people that are similar to us. Or, or people that think the same the way that we do. Or, or people that can accomplish and have hobbies and goals the same that we do. Uh, God says, you know what? My heart for people are those who are often completely different from you. My heart for people that I want you to reach are those who have nothing to offer you. My heart for people that I want you to engage is, is people that have differing worldviews or different religions or, or differing opinions, people that you normally wouldn't hang out with. These are people of different races. These are people of different religions. These are people of different incomes. These are people of different backgrounds. James is saying if you don't engage the heart of God, you're missing something about the gospel. Because the gospel tells us that Jesus is for all people. And that if we truly believe that God desires all people to be saved and experience his mercy, if God's heart is for the nations, if God's heart is for all people, then we need to go out especially to the people that the culture and society and world has rejected. 
because they are the ones who are told that their life means nothing. They are the ones who have been told that they have nothing truly good to offer society. They are the ones who have been told that they are outcast. They are the ones who have been told that they are not part of normal community. And, and God says, you know what? I have a heart for these people. What the world rejects, I love. And, and so here, here's what Scripture does. James says, we need to go to people whom this world has rejected and love them the way that God has loved them. And he does this to remind us that we are all under the same category. We are all created in the image of God. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And on top of that, we all deserve judgment. And in fact, we all will be judged. But James says, if you're a child of God, you've received a gift called mercy. And you, being in a relationship with God and knowing God is rich in mercy, you need to show mercy. And God's mercy triumphs over judgment. And when we realize that we are completely and utterly dependent upon the mercy of God, we have no choice but to be merciful ourselves. That's why James says that the church can in no way, no form, no fashion, in any context, show favoritism. That's the word of James for today. And so, for those of you who are part of Ambassador Community Church, I have some homework for you. Uh, I want you to push into this, this question this week. Uh, I want you to ask God and wait for him to answer, God, where have I shown favoritism in my life? Do I show favoritism over people's income? Do I show favoritism in regards to cultures and societies and races? Do I show favoritism in, in what people's religious backgrounds I'll engage with? Do I show favoritism of those who are friends or family or strangers to me? What is the favoritism that is being displayed in your life? And, and this is what I want you to do out of it. I, I want you to ask that question of God, but then you need to act upon it. You need to act. And, and act by, first of all, going this direction. Who is the person that God has planted in your life that you can't ignore? God is constantly putting people in our life to engage with, and perhaps there's someone that you have been neglecting simply over favoritism. Who is that person that God has planted in your life that you cannot ignore? See, we need to realize that there are people in our community who are consistently and constantly neglected and ignored. And, and God has called us as the church to be a people who reach out to them. When society and culture forgets them, we as the church cannot. We need to engage them. See, so many people right now
are so lonely and they're just longing to get noticed. And the question for us is, are we going to show God's love and mercy to them? Uh, Are we going to show them that God cares for them? That's our calling as the church. And, and, And no circumstance can prevent that. Now, to close, I have this for those of you who aren't part of our church family yet. I want to say this specifically to you. I want to say as a pastor, and we want to say as a church as well, that that first of all, know that God welcomes you. And that we welcome you as a church family. We realize that whoever you are, whatever you've been through, whatever you're going through right now, we want you to know that we are here for you. We want you to know that we are a community that longs to care for you, that longs to love you, that longs to show you the support and encouragement that you need. And we would love to have you become part of this community and show those things to you. We care about you. Most importantly, God cares about you. And so as a closing thought, James is very clear to us as a church. Favoritism doesn't belong here. 